Hey, thanks for listening with Sanctuary. We're excited to grow in the knowledge of Jesus with you. Now let's get into the Word. to bring you a special guest, Pastor Eugene Brown uh, is in the house. He, uh, he's been to Gina before and done a joint service with us several years ago. But Brother Brown, he is a, uh, a very big name in the Louisiana Assemblies of God. He's very humble. He's not going to say that. But uh, he had received a few years ago the Legacy Award, which means 50 years of dedicated service to God, uh, honored by all the pastors in our district. Uh, he pastored in Rocky Branch and for many years retired, was a uh, regional presbyter for us and was kind of over this area. And so, to, and he's also, he wasn't going to mention this, but he's the author of a book uh, called God in the Midst. It's on my shelf, and I don't know how to get, how they get more. But uh, you can see him after that, but you got to read this book about how Jesus is in the midst of the tabernacle. And so, man, would you give a warm, big sanctuary welcome from Brother Eugene Brown today. Love you, brother. I just wish that guy had showed up. <laughs> Wow, what an introduction. Uh, anytime I go anywhere else, I'll have you come by. <laughs> get that. It's good to be here today, isn't it? I've looked at all of the things you have shown on your screen, and uh, I, I'm convinced that you are a church that loves discipleship. And I think that's what we need more in our churches. It's not enough just to get somebody into the pews, but disciple them. Let them know why that they have been saved. Let them know why God wants them to be saved and what the things he, that, that he wants to do in, in their lives. And so I'm glad to be here today. I am, I've been impressed by your uh, pastor for quite some time. I, I, I watched last Sunday's message. If you, have, if you were not here last Sunday and you missed that message, go online and be sure to look at that forgiveness, the deposit of the king, how the king deposits into your life, and he wants you to in turn give to others. I've learned a long time ago that before I can receive more from the Lord, i got to give out what I've already got. i got to be a, 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 a river that flows through. And I got to do that. And great message last week. And and uh, I, I, there's no way that I can walk in his shoes today. To begin with, I can't. I'll be worn out just as fast as he walks and as much as he walks. I don't think he's. Are you ever still at night? Not even at night, huh? Wow, you've got a good pastor. This is October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and I hope you show appreciation to this man of God uh, for this week and, and give him that, that uh, uh, due honor that he should have. Um, well, we're here today. We've got some work to do. I want to ask you, what do you know for sure? And we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 5. I, uh, there's a lot of things that I thought I was going to deposit on you today. But God, God had been dealing with me about a message some time ago. Whenever your pastor asked me to step in today and bring this message, he said, this is it. So I'm going to bring you what I feel definitely God is saying to us. What do we know for sure? 
Are, are you as confused as I am sometimes when you watch social media or you look at TV and you look at uh, all the debates and so forth going on? Are you as, as confused as I am? A, a, a minister I re respected a long, long time ago said he was as confused as a termite in a yo-yo. I never quite understood what that meant, but other than you're just going around in circles, undoubtedly is what the termite's doing. You're confused as a termite and yo-yo. So what do we know for sure? How can we find out what is really true in our lives? If you have found 1 John chapter 5, would you stand for the reading of the word, please? Either in your Bible or your iPad or be on the screen. We'll be looking at uh, from the New King James. Verse 11, and this is a testimony that God has given us eternal life. Can everybody say praise God? And this life is in his son. He who has a son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Even though you might be breathing you don't have real life. You don't know what, how many knows what I'm talking about? You don't know what real life is until you have the Son of God. These things, and this is the reason he says, I wrote this letter to you. This is important. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the, Lord, of the Son of God that you may know. Everybody say no. That you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Verse 18, we know, there's that word again, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is a true God and eternal life. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word that assures us that there are some things we can be sure of. Help us, God, today to open up our hearts and our minds to what your word says, that we may leave this place realizing that there are some things we can be sure of and hold on to because you said it, and if you said it, I can believe it. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise, and everybody said amen. You may be seated. The Christian faith is not built on this or fairy tales. It's built on facts, historical facts. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, he says that the people that, that, that he knows and the people that wrote the Bible are individuals who had handled the Lord, had seen the Lord, had heard the Lord. They knew Jesus Christ personally. They had seen him Personally, our hands even handled them. Peter, James, and John, and other reliable eyewitnesses, according to the Bible, were inspired by God. That means simply God gave them the information to write down. They were inspired by God. And it also tells us in Peter that they were carried along 
by the Holy Ghost. These individuals were eyewitnesses. They saw what, what they wrote about, and you can believe it, and you can trust it. The Apostle John wrote five books of the New Testament. It's amazing that in, in his gospel, the gospel of John, he doesn't start like the other uh, apostles, Matthew and Mark and Luke. He does not start with the conception. He does not start with the, the, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He goes all the way back to the beginning. In the big beginning was the Word. And John says, I want you to know, Jesus was not just an ordinary man. Jesus was the Word of God and became flesh. The Word dwelt among us and had His being. And so John tells us about that. And then, then when he writes 1 John, over and over again he uses the word no. The, the, there are, if, if you read 1 John, there are 105 verses in 1 John. There are several key words in 1 John. The word love, for instance, and loveth is recorded 45 times. In the King James Version, the words know, knoweth, known, knew, and perceive are used 40 times. For instance, 1 John 2 and 3, hereby we do know that we know him, that we keep his commandments. John, 1 John 3, 2, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3 and 5, we know that he was manifested to take away our sins. 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren and the sister too, but, but we, we love each other. And we know we have gone from death to life. We know it because we love individuals. 1 John 3, 19, we know that we are the truth. And now in the text that we read to you today, I want you to know that we know Jesus Christ. Today, knowledge is literally at our fingertips. Google and Wikipedia have made research almost effortless. However, with all that we can get and all the knowledge is at our fingertips, we have to be careful in what we believe. Because so often what we find in these are men's ideas rather than the truth. And we have to be real certain that we are reading the truth and understanding and, and, and giving truth to others. A lot of the message that we have uh, has to be fact-checked. We've got to look at what we find. Is that facts? Well, let's find out. And then you've got to fact-check the fact check. <laughs> I mean, it just keeps on going because what is truth? We've got to understand. Sometimes what we hear people say to us is not really what they meant, but they have a muddled mix of how they say things. You ever run into people like that? that, that what, what do you really mean? I don't understand exactly what you are saying. The undisputed champion of muddled messages was Major League Baseball Hall of Famer Yogi Berra. A lot of you may not have heard that name, but he was a catcher that played or coached on 21 World Series teams, mostly with the New York Yankees. He passed away in 2015. Let me give you some of those messages that he had. It ain't over till it's over. 
baseball is 90% mental. The other half is physical. Somebody asked him, do, do you go to such and such restaurant? He said, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. He said, you got to be careful if you don't know where you're going because you might not get there. He said, always go to other people's funerals. Otherwise, they won't come to yours. Then he said, I really didn't say everything I said. <laughs> One day, a lady said to him, good afternoon, Mr. Barra. My, you look mighty cool today. He said, thank you, ma'am. You don't look too hot either. <laughs> so there's confusion everywhere. We see things, we read things, but we really don't quite understand what is being said sometimes. It's hard to know what to believe. Our TV screens are filled with competing political parties, disagreements about the security of the border, and all kinds of news reports about what's happening in Washington, D.C. and taking place. And we wonder just how much of this is truth. What can we be sure of for sure? Sometimes it's difficult to know what's true and what's false. Surely there are some things we can count on, some things. Where can we find those? Well, first I want to try to establish for you the sources of knowledge, the sources of our knowledge, and which one is trustworthy. There's really only two real sources of knowledge. First of all, we come to what we would call natural knowledge. Some might call it human knowledge, worldly knowledge, fleshly knowledge. It's just natural knowledge. It's what you obtain simply by living. It's what you get from your five senses, what you see, what you hear, what you smell, the things that you feel, the things that you touch. These things are what you find. And you, as you go through, if something is hot, you, your computer brain says that's hot. And the next time you know that's hot, don't touch it. And so we store it in our computer brain, all this information that comes from our five senses. And then whenever there's a need for some new gadget or new gimmick or new toy, then that computer brain gives us that knowledge that we have there, and we come out with all of the different kind of, of uh, new inventions that we have. But human knowledge is never completely reliable. Human knowledge is never completely reliable because it's always changing. New discoveries make old knowledge obsolete. Your iPhone, uh, what, what is now, number 12, 13, whatever. It, it, it changes constantly because it's finding new knowledge. So old knowledge is no longer true, is no longer something that is now obsolete. I understand that science textbooks only last about 18 months now. At one time, you know, it was believed that the sun revolved around the earth. And another one, they believed that the earth was flat. Some people still do. And then there were some that believed that uh, uh, sick people, you took blood from them. And in order to do that, they would put leeches on you. Aren't you glad they're not doing that anymore? And these discoveries comes in new and old is no longer up to date. Google enables us to just push the right buttons and get more information than we ever really need. 
But we still have to ask, but what is truth? What can I depend on? AI is a big issue now. Uh, artificial intelligence. We vote on those people and send them to Washington. you get that after a while. We live in a world that's lost its values. We teach that evolution is a fact, but gender is not. Natural human knowledge is not always reliable, but the other knowledge is what we call supernatural knowledge. This knowledge comes from what we believe to be a reliable source. It's absolute. It's God's revelation to us as recorded in the Bible, God's whole word. And God does from time to time give a, a, a word of knowledge by His Holy Spirit. But any gifting that comes has to be compared with what the Scripture says because a word of God is our true knowledge. We hold on to God's word and nothing else. Uh, it never changes. It does not have to be modified. Thank God for His Word. So which source will you depend on? The results of rejecting supernatural knowledge and relying upon natural knowledge alone is found in Romans chapter 1. When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful. They changed the truth of God into a lie, and God gave them up unto vile affections. So, if we can agree that possibly the supernatural knowledge is more reliable, then I want to look at four important questions about life and discover the answers that we get from these two sources of knowledge. Four important questions that need to be answered. Question number one, how did life begin? Scientific human knowledge says, well, well we believe there was this uh, 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 Big Bang 200 million years or so ago, and somehow order accidentally emerged from that chaos, and that started an evolutionary chain. Humans started out as a tiny blob in some primitive sea that evolved into bigger and bigger blobs. Eventually they separated, they became fish, and then they evolved into reptiles, and then they became monkeys, and then they became science professors. Of course, we have never found any of the links between the different species, but we are sure we'll find the missing links someday. That sounds a little bit uncertain to me. It sounds like something you cannot depend on. The theory of evolution, by the way, is based on missing links. But in fact, it's based on two missing links for every evolved species. Two missing links, one male and one female, that had to be formed at the exact same time in order to produce a brand new species. Links are important and none have ever, let me say that again, none have ever been found. 
I submit to you it takes more faith to believe that than to believe what the Bible says. It takes more faith to say we don't know where they came from, we don't know the missing link, but we're going to find it out someday. But the supernatural knowledge of the Bible simply says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God created all forms of life after their kind in the sea, in the sky, on, on the earth. Then he reached down and fashioned man in God's image. He breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and man became a living soul. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, by Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth. All things were created by him and for him. That answer is a certain one. That answer is no maybes, no probabilities, no what else, no we don't have the missing link. It's all simply God says this is the way it happened and I submit to you that takes less faith to believe that. Question number two, how did we get in all this mess that we find ourselves in today? Some of the finest minds in the world have been trying for decades to answer that question. Politicians, sociologists, psychologists, psychiatrists are all trying to figure out why has man become so violent? Why is gun violence? I've never seen a gun become violent. But why is gun violence a problem that we have? How do we become immoral? Why is there so much poverty? Why are there always wars? Why can't we live together in peace? The world's experts are trying to answer those questions. And some of the debates and panel discussions that you find become so humorous and interesting. One will say, well, it's a fault of the educational system. It's just too much pressure on kids to succeed. We ought not give them grades. We ought to just advance them on. It's not the kid's fault. Somebody else says, it's poverty. If the government would just spend more money, if we would just take, make sure that everybody's got a nice home and a nice education, whether they can afford it or not, and a good income, that would solve it. Well, we've tried that. Where has that got us? It's unequal opportunities, somebody says. It's racism. That's why we got the unequal opportunities. Natural knowledge from the world's systems gives all kinds of uncertain answers. But the Bible gives only one answer. The Bible says we got where we are because of sin. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve rebelled against God's revealed directions. The results are we have weeds in our garden, pain in childbirth, disease, poverty, sickness, death, and racism because of sin. And the Bible says all, everybody say all, all, that's you and you and me, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God of God. No one wants that answer. They don't like it. So we find someone to blame, some government to blame. It's their fault. But the Bible says sin is what caused all of these problems. Question number three, how can we get out of this mess? 
Again, some of the greatest minds with human knowledge are trying to figure out what can we do to solve the problems that we have in the world. Gun control, that will do it. Why don't they say knife control for those that kill with a knife? Why don't they say auto control? Huh? Gun control, let's get rid of it. Build a wall on the borders. They'll do it. I don't care how many walls we build. It's not going to stop sin. If we can just solve the unemployment problem, that take care of everything. Oh, repeal Obamacare. That's that will solve it. Forgive student loans. They'll solve it. There's all kinds of answers that you get. But the Bible says you must be born again. <laughs> That's the answer. They don't like that answer. You must be born again. If you do everything that human knowledge says, all you're going to be doing is changing the exterior. You're not going to be changing the inside. And the inside is what needs to be changed. you got to be born again. It's a simple answer. But the Bible the supernatural knowledge says we got in the mess because of sin and you get out of the mess by having your sins forgiven and being redeemed by Jesus Christ. It's not until we all have been redeemed and forgiven that life on this planet will be changed for the better. The last question, what's going to happen after this life is over? The world's knowledge gives us many answers to that. All the way from reincarnation to just floating around and never, never land. Well, if we, if we are some evolved animal species, there's nothing after this life. But despite what the world says, the Bible says when we finish this life, life continues in one of two places. If Jesus Christ is our Savior and our Lord, we have the promise of heaven and life with him for all eternity. And you can know you have eternal life right now. My text says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I don't have to guess at it. I know it because the Bible says so. But if you refuse him, if you turn your back upon Jesus and go your own way, there's no promise of eternal heaven, but a certainty of an eternal hell. Without God, without His presence. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says we must all, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There is no uncertainty in the supernatural knowledge recorded in the Bible. The Bible says this is the truth. You can be sure of this. I once read about a man that heard his friend say, there's two sides to every question. The man replied, yes, there are two sides to every question, just like there are two sides to a sheet of flypaper. But it makes a difference to the fly as to which side he chooses. <laughs> Now, based on the reliability of the Bible, I want to give you five things we can be sure of. Quickly, five things we can be sure of. In the natural, 
I may not know when I'm going to walk through my deepest valleys, but I do know the Lord is always with me. <laughs> he said in Matthew 28, 20, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Hebrews 13 and 5, He himself has said, I will never, never leave you nor forsake you. As Scripture tells us this, why is it that we still doubt God? It is true that some people may feel God more than I do. It is true that some may even feel God all the time, but we don't go by feelings. I go by the fact that God said, I'm with you. And no matter what I faced yesterday, what I'm going to face tomorrow, what I'm facing today, He is with me. He is with me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. I can be sure of that because the Word says so. Job even said, I know my Redeemer lives. In the natural, I don't know what circumstances I'm going to face tomorrow, but I do know the Lord is able to keep us through all of our circumstances. Second Timothy 1.12, Paul wrote, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. It's only through the power of Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit that we are able to withstand the pressure. You can't make it another day without the fact Jesus is with you. You can't make it another day without the fact that Jesus is able to keep you through it all. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8. What can we say? What response do we have? Who will separate us from the love of God? He then lists all kinds of circumstances, death, sickness, and what have you. And then he says, I am convinced that word convince means I know, I know that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor future, or any powers or height or depth or anything else can separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me tell you, church, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, the love of God is still going with you. He's still right next to you. He will not forsake you. Yet confidence Here's something you can know in the natural. I do not always know how to pray, but I do know the Lord hears and answers prayer. 1 John 5, 14, 15 says, If we ask anything in His name, if we ask according to His will, He hears us. And we know that He hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of Him. Now, there are conditions for prayer. You don't just ask for things that you don't need. You don't ask for things to consume it on your own individual lust, the Bible calls. God says, if you will do this, I will. If you will pray, I will. If you'll pray to me, I will. These work together in God's laws and principles and promises. We must ask believing Matthew 21, 22. We must ask having godly motives. James 4, 2 through 3. Faith is a key. God answers, hear me, God answers all prayers. Some of them he says no. You don't like that, but if we hear him say no, then we can settle down sometimes. 
Some he answers yes. And the one that we hate the most is the one who we hear the most, wait. I got a time for it. Wait. But he answers all prayers. In the natural, I may not always see God in what I go through, but I do know the Lord works all things for our good. Now, don't misunderstand what that's saying, and don't misquote it. Romans 8.28 is a favorite scripture of many of us. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the call according to His purpose. And too often we look at that and we say, okay, there's some good that's going to come out of this. He didn't say all things by themselves will bring good. He says all things will work together for good. How many of you like homemade biscuits? Uh-huh. Didn't raise your hand, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet there's other people here, too, that, that like homemade biscuits. Now, if you go in and you try to eat the ingredients by themselves, just the flour, just the lard, just whatever, they ain't no good to them. But if mama or if your wife takes all those ingredients and mixes them up, and puts them in an oven and pulls them out. Mmm, good. And that's how our circumstances are. This may not be any good, and this may not be any good, but when God takes that and that and that, and He mixes it and puts it into the fire of testing, and it comes out, all things work together for good. They work together for good. In the natural, I don't know what the future holds, but this I do know. The Lord is preparing an eternal home for us. Jesus said in John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and receive you unto myself, that where I am, that you may be also. I don't know what it looks like. Sometimes we preachers get all fancy and talk about uh, fishing in the lake up there and hunting deer, and, and, and I don't know about all that. All I know is Jesus is preparing me an eternal home. And my Bible tells me that when this old tent that I'm in right now, this old tent dies out and is folded and passed away, I have another place, a tabernacle, a house not made with hands that the Lord has prepared for me. It's going to be something. Pastor, I can't wait to see what God has planned. As an, as an architect, I love to see great, good buildings built, beauty of an architecture, but there's nothing compared to what he's prepared for us there. We know if our have, earthly house is destroyed, we got a building from God. It's comforting to know that we have a home not made with hands. It's comforting to know that we got a city prepared for us. It's comforting to know that where the Lord is, we shall be with him. And so I, I end with this. The Christian faith is a faith 
that we can know many things. We can know the God in whom we believe. We can know that the things written in the Bible are true. The Word of God is a basis for which we can know all these and many other things. The Holy Spirit testifies to the truth of these things in our hearts. And as a result, we can know that we can commit our lives, our very souls, to the hope given us in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. These are some of the things that you can know as a Christian, and you have God's Word on it. It's in writing, and if you've got a red-letter edition of the Bible, His words are in red. They've written to you that you might believe. Friend, I'm leaving you today with that assurance. If it's in the Word, you can believe it. It's true. Hold on to God's Word. You can be sure of it. No matter who's going to be president, no matter who's going to be the secretary of state, of who's going to be whatever in our government in, in, in Louisiana, he is still on the throne. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege we've had today to share the word to this wonderful congregation. I fell in love with them already. I've sensed their desire for the word and I, I, I'm impressed with this pastor. We ask God that you fulfill what you promised to this church, that it will be a lighthouse. It will be a sanctuary for broken souls. And I thank you for what you're doing now. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise. Amen.